Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Reading the Word of God, brothers and sisters. I have a friend who goes to church in another denomination. Uh, They baptize as well. They do it a little bit differently than we do. He sent me a note a couple weeks ago that said, we had a baptism service at the church. And I was like, well, that's great. And he said, it was very emotional. But then he said, what does it mean? What does it mean? This is something that's heavy on my heart. And it's one of the reasons that we're stopping to look at communion last week, baptism this week, because these sacraments are a vital part of our, our church family, of our church life. They, they do have meaning. But a lot of times we can look at the sacrament and mistake it for just something that we do. Now, last week we found out that there's, there's a lot of meaning behind that communion that we take, that little cup and that, that, that bread. Um, this week I want to talk to you about baptism. I want to take a close look at it. And I, I want to talk about what it means. What is baptism? And in order to understand what baptism is, I think the first thing we need to know is where this sacrament came from. What, what was the origination of this? Why, why do we do it? And uh, to do that, we have to take a look at John the Baptist. And you know, there's a lot of things going on in Matthew 1, 2, and 3. Uh, and uh, we see uh, Elizabeth is pregnant. Mary is pregnant. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth when she approaches Elizabeth. The baby jumps in Elizabeth's womb. And, you know, I I love that verse because for those of us that say that life doesn't start until you're born, we see the evidence of life right there uh, prior to birth. So uh, there's something special going on with the baby in the womb. His name is going to be John. Uh, He's going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's going to be the herald of the Messiah. So there's, there's a lot of neat stuff going on. And when we get to... Matthew chapter 3, John is beginning his ministry. And so what we see in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 3 is, Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Not my picture of a leader, folks. He's got funny clothes, he lives out in the desert, and he's eating bugs. Now, the good thing is he's covering them with honey, so I guess there's some redemption there. But look what's happening here in verse 5. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. 
But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, here's just a little aside, just a little bonus teaching for you today. Because um, I hear people tell me all the time, I want to be baptized in the fire of the Spirit. I think you've got to read this, this thing carefully. I think you've got to take it in context. Because when he says he will baptize you in, in the Holy Spirit and fire, he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees believe that they're righteous because they're Jewish. And he just got done telling them that don't think just because you're Jewish that you're going to find favor with God. God can raise up stones that are children of Abraham. And then he speaks of fire. And then he says, the one who comes after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. In Luke, he says, we'll baptize you in water and fire. You don't get too much more opposite than water and fire. And uh, John is making a distinction between those who think they are saved and those who are saved. And what John is saying here is that there are two types of baptism you can have. You're going to go through one of them. It will either be baptized in the Holy Spirit or baptized in the fire, and the fire is the fire that destroys. It's not a refining fire. It's a destroying fire. Now, we know this is true because of the next verse. Listen to this. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So this is John's ministry. This is what he's come to do. He's come to tell people to repent. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. You're about to have a face-to-face encounter with the Messiah. So what is this baptism thing? What is he doing here? Well, you know, the word baptize doesn't really occur in the Old Testament, uh, at least not in this context. I, I mean, the context is this. You've got this guy who lives out in the wilderness. He's wearing funny clothes. He's eating bugs. Yeah, he's got some honey with him. Yeah, that's great. Okay, but people are flocking to him. They're coming from all over Judea. People by the hundreds are going out to see him, and, and he's dunking them in the water. Now, why were the people going out there? Why were they allowing themselves to be baptized? And, and to understand this, we've got to kind of take a first century perspective on this because as soon as we hear the word baptized, we start thinking about the sacrament. We start thinking about the ordinance of baptism. They were thinking something else. So in the first century, baptism is not an ordinance of the church. As a matter of fact, there's no church at least not the church the way we know it, the church isn't really going to start until after Jesus ascends. So there was no baptism, no baptizo, that's a Greek word for this, 
in the synagogue. But the procedure that John was going through was familiar to the Jews. And they knew that baptizo meant, first and foremost, immersion. Now, when we talk about immersion, we're not talking about just getting wet. You know, the image that it would evoke in the mind of a Jew would be somebody who's standing at, at the edge of the water, of deep water, and plunging in as deep as they can so that they are absolutely engulfed by the water. The water touches every essence of their being. So when they're thinking immersion, when they're thinking baptizo, they're thinking immersion to the utmost. And the Old Testament is filled with this type of symbolic washing. So we see it first in Aaron and his sons. When it comes time to consecrate the priesthood, uh, God tells Moses uh, to gather everyone together and conduct this ritual cleansing of Aaron and his sons. They have to be cleansed. They have to be immersed in water before they can serve before the Lord. In Leviticus 8, chapter, verse 6, it says this, And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Now, this, this wasn't a sponge bath, folks. This wasn't, well, you know, we're going to sprinkle some water on you. These guys had to remove their garments and get in the water and be absolutely engulfed by the water. The water had to touch every inch of their being. And so in order to satisfy the requirements that God had put on the priesthood, they had to be cleansed all over. And even that was just a symbolic cleansing. It was symbolic of a change that was happening in Aaron and his sons. They were moving from people who were Jewish people who were following God to being priests. There was a transformation that was occurring. So the, the ritual of the cleansing was representative of this, this change that was going on inside. We see a similar thing in 1 Kings uh, with the construction of the first temple where a guy named Hiram who has the gift of working with bronze and gold and metal and that sort of thing, he makes his giant bowl. And the bowl is to sit in the outer court, the inner court of, of the, the temple. And 1 Kings 7, 23 says this. Now he made the sea of cast metal. Now a sea is a, a, a giant bowl, okay? And it's 10 cubits from brim to brim, circular in form, and its height was five cubits and 30 cubits in circumference. It could hold 2,000 baths. Now, this is the equivalent of 24,000 gallons of water. In other words, this, pool, this bowl is so big, it's about the size of an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And it's a lot of water. And it was used to cleanse the temple instruments. Now, they didn't have enough instruments to require 24,000 gallons of water, but the picture that we had to see is, again, these instruments are just totally immersed in the water. And some people believe that the priests, before they served, had to be cleansed in this bowl as well. So another compelling evidence of an Old Testament washing is found in the synagogues. Now, this is not scriptural, but we have all the evidence from extra-biblical, reliable uh, texts that, that tell us about a thing called the mikvah. And the mikvah was a pool. There was usually a mikvah somewhere near or in a synagogue. Uh, it had to be stocked with fresh water, either rainwater or water with a stream, or if the mikvah was near the ocean, they would dig a conduit, and ocean water would come in. But it had to be fresh, clear, 
clean water. And it was used for three purposes. The first two are incidental. The third one's important. So the first reason the mikvah was used was to cleanse a woman at the end of her cycle. The second one was to cleanse utilities and implements used in worship. But the third one was to cleanse new converts. Now watch this. They would take a new convert and, and put him in the mikvah and a priest would, would push him under the water. And he would do it three times. And the reason he would do it three times was each time he would put him under the water, he would move his hands so that at the end of three times, he, the water had come into contact with the entire body of the new convert. And when the convert came out of the water, the crowd around, the Jewish community that would attend this, would say, he is now a child of one day. It's kind of like Henry. And it was a child, and this is his first day. They would say he has been born again. It was a symbol of a new life. It was a symbol of putting away old beliefs. It was a symbol of embracing a new community. It was a symbol of a transformation that was going on. And when they came up out of the water, they were pronounced Jewish. So the ways of the world had been washed away and replaced with Judaism. So whatever washing, whatever ritual we see, those are three good examples but whatever ritual ceremony we see, it involves the, the total immersion of the object or the person in clean water, soaked to the cold. So we need to understand that baptism, first and foremost, means total immersion. Now with that in mind, we go back to our passage for the day, and John is baptizing. He's baptizing, and, but it, listen, it's a bapti- baptism of repentance. So the image we should get is the people are being totally engulfed in repentance. Repentance is soaking the people. It's coming from deep down inside them. This isn't just, gee, I, I, I need to do this. It's, it's a symbol. You know, it, this is something that's happening in their hearts and their souls. They're being immersed in repentance. They're being totally transformed by repentance. And the repentance is in preparation for the arrival of the Messiah. So we learn something about God's plan of redemption. He's sending the Messiah to redeem his people from their sins. And the first thing that they have to do prior to having a face-to-face encounter, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, is they have to repent. And it has to be a repentance from the heart. It has to come up from the core of their being. It has to be contrite. It has to be humble. It has to be an ask, a request for Uh, forgiveness of sins. So, repentance is the first step in understanding what this immersion of baptism talks about. We have six more. So, once we repent, we are baptized into obedience as well. Now, I know that obedience is is not a popular word. Culturally, we're a little uncomfortable with it, uh, but Jesus was very comfortable with it. Because even, even the Messiah is immersed. And uh, so we see that the number two uh, definition of what baptism is, is immersion in obedience. Uh, and we see that when Jesus goes down to the Jordan. 
And so he comes upon John who's doing this, and, and John says, wait a minute. Okay, I, I should be baptizing you, not you baptizing me. And so now Jesus, we need to understand, Jesus isn't there to repent. He is sinless. He has nothing to repent of, but God's people are being told that they need to be baptized. So Jesus is there to be baptized. And when John says, I can't do this, you should be doing it to me, Jesus says in 1315, but Jesus answering said to him, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. Jesus said, this is what the Father has been telling us, so I'm going to do it. A little bit later, Paul's going to tell us that we need to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And here's one of the first things Jesus does as he enters into ministry is he goes and gets baptized. Being obedient to the Father. Well, I've had folks say, you know what? Well, that was Christ. He did it for us. We don't have to do it. But that level of obedience is is for us as well. Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So as we strive to be immersed, to be engulfed in our obedience to what the Word calls us to do, we get the blessing of the Holy Spirit, which is going to lead us into a deeper, more fulfilling relationship with our Father in heaven. So we're called to be immersed in repentance. We're called to be immersed in obedience. And then we see that baptism is also immersion in Christ. Now this is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now watch, verse 19 says to baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And again, contemporarily, we hear we baptize in the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Speaking to a Jewish audience, Jewish audience had a totally different perspective on names than we do. You know, we, we have name, we got a little label sometimes, we have a job that has our name on it, we think that's our label, that's our title. Okay, to a Jew, the name meant the essence of that person. What made that person who he was, where his heart was, what he was made out of, everything he stood for, his integrity, his honor, his family, his village. The name was the nature and character of the individual. So Jesus says, baptize people in the essence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize people in the character and nature of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as you do this, as you immerse yourself in Jesus Christ, as we begin this union with Jesus Christ, as we become molded into his shape and his image, as we become more and more like him, then he will be with us always. You know, we can't avoid him being with us always. We're united with him. 
as we immerse ourselves in him, as we begin being modeled after him, as, as we begin striving to be more and more like him and be more and more immersed in him, he's with us all the time. I like that, but sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. You ever feel that way? Like you wish maybe union with Christ was only situational? Maybe not in this situation? So the good news is he'll never leave us. And sometimes the bad news is we can't get away. I mean, we have to think about this. This idea of immersion with Christ, this idea of union with Christ, it'll change your perspective on life. It'll make you look at everything differently. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you think, Christ is there. Christ is there with you. And it's a good thing that he's given us the Holy Spirit who tells us not to do the things we shouldn't be doing. God does give us free will, though. So sometimes we can, we can countermand that. The great thing is, even when we're disobedient, Jesus doesn't leave us. So we strive to be engulfed in obedience to Christ. We strive for this immersion in Christ. We, we, we want to be immersed in, in repentance. And if we're immersed in him, if we've repented... If, we're, if, we're, if our heart's desire is to be obedient, if we understand our union with Christ, then we understand that we're also immersed in his church. We are totally engulfed in his church. I don't always feel that way. Because sometimes, sometimes we don't feel really attached to the church. But here's what the word says. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. We have all been engulfed into one body. We're in union with him. He's in union with us. And we're in union with each other. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. So brothers and sisters, we're one. We're an integral, each one of us is an integral part of his church. This church and the church universal as well. Now if we understand that, then we understand that something is going on inside us. Something is different than it was before. And it doesn't matter when you got saved. It doesn't matter when you submitted yourself to Christ. But there's a transformation going on in every one of us. Day by day, God is molding and shaping us into his image. So we are immersed, we are engulfed in this incredible supernatural transformation that is occurring in each one of us. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. We're talking about spiritual circumcision, spiritual transformation, spiritual mark by the hand of God, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We're being changed. God is drawing us closer to him. Our union with Christ demands it. 
Our union with Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit leads us into it. We are immersed in our transformation. And as we go through that transformation, as we draw closer to our Father in heaven, as we try our best to be obedient, as we repent from the sins that we've got, as we understand our union with Christ, then we begin to be a reflection of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we are immersed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the key to that is in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on this little group of people in an upper room in Jerusalem during the feast, and there are a million and a half to two million people in the city, and so the Holy Spirit lands on them, and it looks like tongues of flame. And they are inspired by this indwelling Holy Spirit to go out into the city, and this is what happens. In verse 37 in Acts chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they, were, they, they preached the gospel. They boldly proclaimed the gospel. These people who were hiding in the upper room are now in the middle of one of the largest crowds in the world at the time. And they're, they're preaching the gospel. And it's happening in different tongues. And people are hearing in their own language. There's all this really unusual stuff going on. But what happens in verse seven is, is, in 37 is how the crowd responds. Said, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? They heard that they were sinners. They heard that they needed to repent. They heard that the Messiah was coming and that salvation and forgiveness were available to them. And they understood that they needed salvation. That they, so they said, what do we do? How do we get this? And Peter said, well, let me go over the Roman road with you. And then he said, no, I forgot, we don't have that yet. Well, let me give you the four spiritual laws. Oh, wait a minute, we don't have them yet either. Uh, Be good people. Do the best you can. Be nice to everybody. Is that what he said? Okay, somebody say no. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Peter said to them, watch this, this is just absolutely incredible. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the gospel. He didn't overcomplicate it. He didn't make it hard to follow. He didn't even memorize a whole bunch of scripture. He'd get there. Peter eventually becomes a great theologian. He said, what do you do? Repent and be baptized. For what? For the forgiveness of your sins. You see the simplicity, the beauty of the gospel? And what we see is what happens is that some of the people, some of that crowd, three thousand of them are convicted. They repent. They ask for forgiveness. And they receive it. The essence of the gospel. The essence of what we should be living. The essence of what we are immersed in, brothers and sisters, is that we have been forgiven by the grace of God. 
And the way we got that was by repenting from our sins. You've heard me before, I think that the church has way overcomplicated the gospel. It's not that hard. We've got a class coming up mid-October about how to share the gospel, how to keep it simple. And if you, if you are living in the gospel, if you're living in the transformation, in the union with the church, in the union with Christ, if you're living in obedience, if you're living in repentance, then the gospel should just flow from us. Sometimes we're going to speak it. Sometimes people are just going to see the transformation in us. So there we have what baptism is. It's immersion. It's repentance. Not just repentance, but being immersed in repentance. It's being engulfed by a desire to be obedient to our Father. It's being in union and immersion with Christ and all he is. It's being in union and immersion with the church and, and displaying this transformation that's going on in us and, and letting that display be a proclamation of the gospel. So the sacrament that we go through when we have a baptism service, and we're going to have one here in a couple of months. We don't have a baptismal font, so we have to go borrow one in another church. And generally, there's one or two churches in the area that let us do that. The, the, the sacrament is important, but we need to understand everything that is behind the sacrament because it's not just something that the church does. If you understand the sacrament of communion, and all that's behind that, if you understand the ordinance of baptism and all that's behind that, you know that that's what the church is. They're both astounding proclamations of the gospel. Well, what do we do with this? I've got two questions for you this morning. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized with an understanding of what baptism is? And let me tell you, I, I get a lot of responses when I ask people if they've been baptized. Um, I am guilty of giving those type of responses early in my Christian walk. I just had a pastor one time that said, you know what, you're done waiting. We're doing baptism Sunday afternoon. I need you to be there. So I went. <laughs> but people say funny things to me. They say, well, I don't know, John. I'm praying about it. And I'm like, you know it's a commandment. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'm praying about it. What commandments do we pray about being obedient to? Father, do you want me to murder anybody? Shall I steal? Shall I covet? Shall I commit adultery? Shall I worship other idols? Shall I get baptized? <laughs> it's a commandment. So, don't, you know, well, I had somebody a number of years ago that had a terror of going underwater. I said, is that the only thing that's holding you back? I said, yeah. I said, well, we'll put some water on your head. How's that? And they said, okay, and we did the baptism. It's not the form. It's what's going on in the heart. So if you haven't been baptized, come and be baptized. Come and join us. And, and you know, when we have these services, praise God, I'm always blessed by the number of people that show up because this is a function of the church. 
This is not just a private function. So the last couple of times we've been down at the First Baptist, we've had 40, 45 people there. And that's a blessing because this is something only the church can do. I say, I, I don't believe that you can baptize in your backyard. Uh, I think it's something for the assembly. If the church is going to gather in your backyard, I think that's a good thing. Okay, but I've had people say, well, I baptized my kids at home in the bathtub. I, I just... That testimony of what's going on inside me, of sharing it with the people that we're united with, I think is an important part of church life. So if you haven't been baptized, my question is, why not? Let's do it. Let's all get together and praise the Lord for what he's doing in our lives. And the second question, and this goes more to the nature of baptism, understanding that it's immersion in all these things, are you walking in that immersion? Are you walking in your baptism? Are you walking in your baptizo? Are you walking in immersion in repentance, in obedience, in Christ, in the church, in, in union with him? Are you walking in, in this transformation that we're going through? Are you a walking display of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are, are the things that have flowed to you so abundantly or forgiveness and mercy and grace, are they flowing from you in the same abundance? Are you being forgiving as much as you have been forgiven? Because each one of us has been forgiven a lot. Are you a vessel of grace, flowing grace from you from every pore of your skin because you have received an incredible amount of grace? Are you merciful because God has been so merciful with us? Those are questions between you and the Lord. But those are two things I want you to carry with you today. Have you been baptized? And are you walking in your immersion? Now, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to spend a few minutes in prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand. And you people that are cool downstairs, you do this too. Uh, stand up and form little groups. And we'll pray. Pray for God to impress this upon us. Pray for us to become those displays of the gospel, those displays of the church. Pray for us to be exemplars of the grace that we've received. Holy Father in heaven, we stand before you as your body. Father, we give thanks for the salvation we've received. We give you praise, Father, for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. Lord, and, and we, we thank you for things that are a little harder for us to understand, uh, but we accept them because your word says that we are in union with your son, union with each other. Lord, deliver us from acting on our feelings, but help us to embrace the truth of your word. Help us to walk, Father, in the beauty that you've given us as your church, as the bride of your son. Lord, help us to understand our immersion in repentance and our immersion in obedience our union with your son, our union with each other, the transformation we're going through, Father, and the gospel that we walk in. 
And we, Lord, Lord, we pray that by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit that you would bring us to that face-to-face encounter with your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would understand the nature of the relationship we have with him, Father, that we would stand before you, before your throne, and give you praise and glory, not because of anything we've done, but because of the work he's done. And may that be evidenced in us. May we be walking displays of your gospel, your truth, and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.